Welcome to Miscellaneous Thoughts, the podcast where we talk about religion, politics, and all that jazz. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about prison abolition. But before we begin, here is a bit of a disclaimer. I'm simply sharing my response and thoughts to a paper I wrote about nine months ago. Um, and I'll just be reflecting on how some of these ideas have evolved um, within this last year. Keep in mind that this is a really big conversation, and I will be thinking through a lot of these thoughts on my own. And so there wouldn't be a lot of room for me to be to really be challenged on some of these ideas and thoughts. Um, but the goal, my goal isn't to convince anyone to change their beliefs. It's just to share some of the information I found when I was writing this paper and to hopefully make space for a bigger, bigger conversation on this. The goal is to eventually do like a part two where I can have a guest and really talk through and work through some of these, these thoughts I have. Um, I will not share the paper that I'll be responding to in this episode, but I will share a link to the sources that I used for the paper. All right, let's get into it. So I started this paper off by just talking about the difference between prison abolition versus prison reform. And for this intro part, um, I took an article from the Marshall Project. In this, this piece, the author was pretty much just saying that prison reformers, they favor incrementalism and generally push for changes such as more humane prisons and a smaller prison population. Prison abolition, on the other hand, is kind of more about divesting from the use of law enforcement for public safety and redirecting government spending for the purpose of attending to systematic issues um, of social and economic inequality. Another author named Allegra McCloy was talking about how prison abolition is is a product of slavery abolition. Um, She was saying that how a good way to kind of think about prison abolition is that, like, it's not about really working within the system. It's about working outside the system. It's about really just thinking of new structures that can be used to lead to lead new movements. And that kind of compares to just kind of the way in which reformers um, go about. You know, reformers are more about working within the system. They're about fixing what already exists. Abolitionists are more about working outside the system and creating new structures and new ways of working through issues. This whole thing of creating new structures is, is about embracing the idea of radicalism and radical imagination. And I defined radical imagination in this paper as the ability to kind of visualize a society, um, to visualize a system vastly, vastly different from the status quo and to just think about things outside of the constraints of the usual means of existing and organizing. So just really kind of taking a step back and just thinking like, what can we do that doesn't rely on the system, the structures that we already have in place. Like, how can we do things a different way? Okay, so then I went into just talking a little bit more about some of the points that David, the Andrew Davis talked about in her book, Are Prisons Obsolete? And she kind of said how, like, there tends to be a, a bit of dishonesty or when it comes to talking about the harms that prisons bring about and, and how like, the media seems to almost condition us to think about prisons as a need in the same way that they condition us to think about the ways in which we need police. She's just trying to kind of parallel the way in which we kind of, we tend to really rely on some of these systems without really questioning if we really need them. She also criticizes reform as promoting the either that the issues that exist within the prison system aren't urgent. Like, it kind of lessens the urgency. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Like, if we're saying that we want to reform something, then obviously it's not that bad. Like, you don't reform things that are terrible. You don't reform things that are extremely harmful and that, that shouldn't exist. You reform things that have the potential to be better. And so she was just saying that, you know, by like kind of viewing prison reform as an option, was saying that 
the issues that ha- that occur in the prison system are not that bad, you know, they're not that important to me for us to really need abolition. And by and by kind of relying on prison reform, we're maintaining the status quo. And I wrote in response to just some of her work that the lack of transparency among members of society to reckon with how damaging prison is, is one of the main reasons why prison abolition is viewed as unrealistic. And, you know, she, of course, made reference, like I said before, to prison abolition, to to slavery abolition, how, of course, at one point, the idea that slaves would no longer exist was idealistic. A free black person? Like, what? That's absolutely insane. And so I think this kind of points to the, the fact that what we view as radical is constantly changing. Um, and as we grow more comfortable with certain ideas and beliefs, they, they obviously become less radical. And in regards to just how idealistic prison abolition seems, she was just saying that the same changes that occurred for us to be able to get rid of slavery occurred because of social movements and that if we want to have, if we really want to change the way in which things are working, we have to create movements that propel the change that we want to see. Okay, so in, in this next part of my paper, I talk a little bit about the history of prisons, and this was taken from this paper or this article done by the Vera Institute of Justice, and it was just kind of talking about about convict leasing um, and how it maintained the economy. It, it was really just a way of creating labor, of using labor to keep things afloat. And I kind of described convict leasing in this paper as legal slavery because the main difference between slavery and convict leasing was that convict leasing was done with private owners, um, and these private owners had no vested interest in preserving the lives of their quote-unquote property. When it comes to convict leasing, like, if you're leasing a convict, then if something ha- happens to them, you can get another one. You can you can have that person, you can have that, that place, that person replaced. Of course, convict leasing was just a product of slavery, but also how it took on its own its own meaning and just existed in the very different way, especially in the South. Another thing that was brought up was how prisons were, were used differently in the North and the South. Like in the North, it was more about rehabilitation, whereby in the South, it was more so about, about punishment and retribution. But the thing is, though, in both, both regions, violence was a central point of its existence and that, and, and the goal in these prisons was to, was to really bring them down to the lowest point. And so even though we had a difference in the way in which prisons were being used, the people that were pr- in prison still felt the effects of, of having their freedoms stripped away. The prison system is harmful because it, it targets certain racial groups, but also because, like I said, it really is, um, it thrives on use of violence. It thrives on dehumanization. It thrives on just a lot of things that are used to really draw out the humanity of these people. We have things such as solitary confinement, sexual abuse that kind of really help to compound the, the violence that happens in these, these places. And I think that like it's very it's strange to view the prisons as a place of rehabilitation because how can you expect someone to leave there and to become a law-abiding citizen after being put through so much violence, after having to witness so much violence on, on the other people around them and to even have the violence inflicted upon them as well. And so it's I think it's very contradictory to believe that prisons can truly re- re- rehabilitate people. And like even if we say that the re- rehabilitation is seen as seen as the lack of recidivism, it doesn't mean that they aren't still negatively affected by 
having been in prison for such a long time, or having been subject to so much violence and abuse within these prison prison cells. So some of the questions I kind of had going into writing this paper was, if we get rid of prisons, well, what will we do about the violent criminals? How will victims get justice if the perpetrators aren't punished? And wouldn't crime increase if criminals knew they wouldn't face harsh repercussions? And this last question kind of perhaps gets a bit into like bail reform. I know like when they had like the, the new bail reform changes in New York City, around that same time, we kind of saw a spike of crime and a lot of people um, associated the spike of crime due to relaxed ways in which people were being punished for um, their criminal offenses. And that's kind of like a different thing. Like, you know, that's a different story. But I think it's, it's something that I thought about because like if we don't have prisons, then when people feel the need to kind of do what they want to do. And kind of in response to these questions, Davis kind of talked about how the, the goal is not to replace prisons with a single alternative. It's about coming up with intersecting strategies that lead to decarceration. You know, the alternatives lie in providing better and more access to social resources and to and to really prioritizing the economic needs of, of society. And this kind of makes me think about the ways in which the prison system is really connected to a lot of other stuff that exists around this. Like, you know, for example, the school, the prison pipeline. And that was kind of talked about a little bit more in Carlos Shedd's book um, on Equal City. But when you think about the way in which the school, the prison pipeline works, like it makes you kind of really think like, dang, everything really is connected. Like the ways in which students are policed in schools, the way in which prison style surveillance is implemented in these schools, usually, you know, schools that are made up of black students and brown students, it makes you really understand that, like, nothing really happens in isolation. Like, nothing happens at all in isolation when it comes, especially when it comes to the prison system. And the last thing I touched on on this paper was transformative justice. So um, there was this, this thing I read, um, I forgot the name of the doc, the, nom- the name of the thing I read, but it was from this, this organization called Generation 5. And in the article, they were just talking about how transformative justice could be used to address the effects of and the issue of child sexual abuse. And they, they define transformative justice as, and I quote, how we as individuals, families, communities, and society can prevent respond to and transform the harms that we see happening in our world, end quote. And so for me, I kind of saw transformative justice as not only dealing with the after effects of the victim, also thinking of ways in which we can prevent harm from happening in the first place. And some of the guiding principles that um, this document talked about was liberation, about shifting power, about safety, accountability, collective action, responsiveness, sustainability, and resilience. And so I think in bringing up um, transformative justice, I was trying to kind of talk about how maybe this can be a way of dealing with dealing with the issues of crime, you know, instead of just relying exclusively on prisons, kind of thinking about ways in which justice can be done to the victims and how we can kind of, how we can also prevent further harm from being done. So I ended this paper by just saying that prison abolition is only as radical as the abolition of slavery and how prisons are, prisons are really about punishment. Like we say sometimes it's about rehabilitating people, but that's not true. Like prisons are, prisons are really just about 
punishing people, essentially. So after reading, reading back my paper, I did, I did kind of have some thoughts and some questions. Some of the questions that I had in regards to my paper was, what, what message are we send, sending to the victims of, you know, abuse um, and to the family of friends who, who have lost loved ones because of criminals and those who have, you know, inflicted, inflicted tremendous harm on innocent people? Like, what are we saying to these people with the promotion of prison abolition? Like, are we saying that, that their lives don't matter? Are we saying that, are we saying to the victims that your that your life doesn't matter, that we care more about the, per- the perpetrators than the victims. What message are we sending people who have been harmed? Another question I had was kind of tied to the first question. Like, are we focusing on the wrong thing? Like, I'm talking about prison abolition. We're placing a lot of focus on those who have presumably, you know, committed a, an offense. And of course, we know there are people who are falsely imprisoned, but what are, are we like spending too much focus on those who have committed crimes and not enough focus on the victims? Um, and the last question I had was, how do we conceptualize the idea of justice in regards to criminals? Like, it's, it's hard, it's kind of hard for me to kind of think about what does justice mean to someone who has killed someone else? What, what does justice mean for a person who has sexually abused, abused a child or whatever? Like, what does justice mean? Justice mean for someone who opened fire in a school and killed killed children and adults? Like, what does justice mean for these type of people? And so that's kind of where I'm at with this this topic of prison abolition. You know, I, I'm not sure if my views have really changed on it. I think prison abolition. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's something that can probably be something that we do in the future. Like, I just don't see that as something that we can implement in the here and now. Like. To me, it's kind of like a future ideal. It's almost like a utopic fantasy, fantasy in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I think I struggle to, I struggle between really, between like intellectually understanding why prison is bad, you know, why the, the role it plays in the criminal justice system and how it should really just be taken down, just demolished in general. But also kind of, you know, I have very strong emotional responses to, to thinking about Prisons not existing at all. I guess, I guess perhaps where I'm at right now is that prisons should not be the only solution to, 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 um, to dealing with crime. And that perhaps it might be a, a viable option, option for people who, who have committed very violent crimes. But I think, I don't think prisons is the solution for all people who have created, committed, committed crimes. So yeah, I'm still trying to kind of work through my thoughts on prison abolition. I, and I, I think it's hard to kind of see sometimes on the news, you know, these these videos of people being shot or just uh, these very very gruesome crimes being done, and not think, okay, they should be put away, they should be locked, should be locked up. Like my initial response when I was, whenever I see people who commit these very gruesome crimes, these very you know very violent and aggressive crimes, is to think to myself, they should be locked away. Like, they should not, they should not be able to live live life freely. They should not be able to live life as usual. And so it really is me trying to kind of really challenge these ideas that I have. It really is just me trying to envision a society without prisons and to think about what that really means. Like what does a society without prisons really mean? And like how do we get there? Like like I, I get it. I I've I've done the readings, some of the readings, whatever, but like how do we get from, from where we are right now to a place without prisons? I'm I i do not know.
I'm still not sure about that one. But I hope you all enjoy this episode. Wait and follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Pandora, and on all other listening platforms. Um, and, and yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.